Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast, and now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right, you're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas, that's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists, and for nearly the last 11 years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Uh, Ben, after a somewhat slow start, I guess, to the year, we are about to dive into the thick of it. There are UFC events every weekend for the next eight weeks, and that includes three pay-per-views. UFC 284, which of course is Volkanovski versus Mahachev, that's on February 12th. UFC 285, which is Jones versus Gone, that's on March 4th. And UFC 286, uh, Leon Edwards versus Kamara Usman, the rematch, that is on March 18th. So if you're scoring at home, that's three pay-per-views in a little over a month. It's actually three pay-per-views in 35 days. So I guess my question is, are you ready to take this ride all over again? I mean, maybe it doesn't matter if I'm ready or not. Maybe it's just what needs to be done. Yeah. Have you ever thought of that? I guess so. They kind of took it easy on us to begin the new year. Uh, we're coming up this weekend on Derek Lewis versus Sergey Spivak, which, of course, was rescheduled from a, from a previous date. And we'll be talking about that today on the show. We're also getting a Bellator event this weekend down there in California. Fedor Emelianenko and Ryan Bader really actually going to do it in Fedor's last fight. And we got some other stuff to talk about this week as we move through the program. A reminder that you're listening to the Komen Event Podcast proper. This show drops every Monday afternoon in your timelines and podcast libraries for free. Don't forget to go out and follow the show on Instagram at CME if you nasty. And if you really want to support the show, you know where to find us. Ben Folks and I are party rocking all week over on Patreon, churning out that additional MMA content. We've got Wednesday's live chat. Uh, we've got Thursday's doing the damn thing podcast. And of course, we got Friday's power hour, which is a full extra hour of curated MMA talk from Ben and I. Come get down with us. We've got a patronage tier for every budget. Just head over to patreon.com slash co-main event. 
and sign up to join the team. We've also got our brand new merchandise site up and running over at comainevent.com. Head on over there. You'll find old favorites like the original Dundasso t-shirt, the old school cowboy astronaut cigarettes t-shirt. And of course, you can find a lot of cool new stuff over there as well, uh, including brand new Are You Fucking Kidding Me shirts, t-shirts for the dreaded MMA gods, and of course, the hottest seller on the market the Bobby Nux t-shirt. Just go to the website comainevent.com and click the link at the top right-hand corner of the screen that says shop. That'll get you there. As you guys know, we're partnering with our friends Superconductor on the shop. You've been seeing their stuff on the CME for a long time. Our longtime collaborator, collaborator Johnny Ashcroft. We can't recommend them highly enough for all your design needs. Hit them up at studiosuperconductor.com or on the grams at Studio Superconductor. We got music this week from CME listener and beloved patron, Doug Ty, a.k.a. Spider Fighting. He describes his music as, big breath, instrumental beat music that straddles the non-existent line between aging indie dork and backpack boom bap. Backpack boom bap. It's a tongue twister, but I think it's pretty cool. If you like what you hear from him on the show, check out more over at soundcloud.com slash spider fighting three rounds as usual this week in the co-main event podcast in round number one we are led to believe that saturday is the last fight for the last emperor after this his life will be all double fists and ice cream cones admiring the geese down by the water and lounging in his starry o school sauna in the glorious sweater of absolute victory is mma ready to let go of Fedor Emelianenko. And in round number two, pour one out for Bloody Elbow, at least the Vox-owned, Vox-supported version of it. At this point, we'd hazard a guess that most of MMA's best writers and reporters are out of work. So, is that good? <laughs> and in round number three, Lewis versus Spivak. Barring any future non-COVID-related weight-cutting issues, the heavyweights are going to bang. All that, plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff. But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. This week's listener mail is once again brought to you by NordVPN. NordVPN is one of our favorite online products right now. I use it on all my devices. I know Ben does too. It's super fast. It's easy enough to use that even I can figure it out. And that's saying something. NordVPN will give you the peace of mind of knowing that all your personal information is safe online, whether you're using the internet at home, traveling, or just running around town, and your phone is bouncing from public Wi-Fi to public Wi-Fi. Ben, what do you like best about NordVPN? Well, you said it. I love it protects me as I'm bouncing from public Wi-Fi to public Wi-Fi, Chad. It doesn't matter where a well-coiffed gentleman like myself is, whether I'm at the barber shop getting my look tended to, whether I'm at the other barber shop that I go to just for a close shave, or whether I'm at the third barber shop that I go to for mysterious purposes. purposes. NordVPN has me covered as soon as I get on those public Wi-Fis. Very important. Now, if you'll excuse me for saying so, the people over on the Patreon page who have the uh, the video version of the podcast can see. It doesn't look like you have been to the barbershop for the haircut or the shave for a long time. In fact, by Ben Folk standards, that lettuce is getting a little unruly up there. Well, maybe I've just been spending too much time at the third barbershop that I go to <laughs> for mysterious 
personal purposes. Yeah, we don't even want to know about that. I'm sorry that I asked. We've been <laughs> we've been telling you guys about the Nord VPN security bundle for a while now. It has three easy options for how to use it. You can get the standard plan for your basic VPN needs. You can get the plus plan if you need a little something extra. And if you want to go for the big dog, you can go with the complete plan, which will take care of your every need. Enjoy the leading VPN service and malware blocker. Generate and store strong passwords, protect files in an encrypted cloud. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash co-main to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan, plus a bonus gift. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Barely made it through that one. Yeah. It's touch and go there for a few seconds. Some weeks are just going to be tougher than others, you know? Yeah. Uh, First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Cheesy P, who writes... Is the recent booking of Burns versus Masvidal at UFC 287, perhaps in Miami, more significant than we think? Depending on the outcomes of Camaro versus Leon 3, if Usman loses again, you can just cert Mr. Three-Piece in a soda, provided he wins. And if Edwards loses, Usman versus Burns 2, if Gilbert wins. Now that is a complicated series of outcomes. <laughs> but I guess what he's asking is, is the winner here the number one contender? Yeah, this one, as soon as I sort of heard about this booking, my first thought was, are we trying to set Gilbert Burns up to do some business? Uh, The second question is, are we trying to get Jorge Masvidal killed? (laughs) Right? I mean, maybe Jorge has more left in the tank than we realize. Maybe there's some kind of connection between, you know, him facing some charges, needing to get in there and fight whoever they got. And also him saying, I saw this recently on a story, uh, I believe on MMA Junkie, saying that he is managing himself now and has split perhaps somewhat acrimoniously with uh, front row management. But uh, maybe all that stuff combined leads to a situation where they say, all right, here's a bad idea for you, Jorge. And he says, yes, please. When can you do it? Because, I don't know, my first thought upon hearing that pairing was, Gilbert Burns going to eat him alive. This yeah. version of Jorge at this point against this version of Gilbert Burns, I mean, I'll, I, I don't know, have you looked at the odds yet? What, what are odds makers saying about this one? Well, I can check it out here. I was just going to say that you really can't get more of a disparity between fights than the last three or six fights, I guess, for Jorge Masvidal because he won three in a row against Darren Till, Ben Askren, and Nate Diaz. Two of those guys are no longer in the UFC and Darren Till obviously has kind of fallen on hard times. And then after that, he lost three fights in a row, two of them in back-to-back affairs against Kamara Usman and then at UFC 272 against uh, Colby Covington. So it, it could be that maybe I'm being a little bit too hard on Jorge Masvidal here. This could be perhaps a decent measuring stick for him because Gilbert Burns has been a guy who is very, very good and up around the top of the welterweight division, but he is also coming in with two losses in his last four, both those to Kamara Usman and Kamzat Shemaev, and he has wins over the Wonder Man and Neil Magny. So maybe we get in there, we mix it up, we find out what both these guys has to offer. But since you asked... Jorge Masvidal is going off at a four to one underdog pace. Plus 400 is Jorge Masvidal. Gilbert Burns minus 500. So I don't know if there's a big pay payday there to be had. If you like Gilbert Burns, I did see this. This is interesting to me that Gilbert Burns right away replies, trying to get Dana White to agree on Twitter. 
to make this fight five rounds for the BMF belt, saying, saying, put that belt on the line. Everybody knows it's only one guy in the UFC that fights anyone. Hashtag to UFC 287. Uh, to which Jorge replies uh, on the MMA fortnight with Ariel Helwani, if they pay me BMF money, which UFC isn't going to up it for more money. So sorry, Gilbert. I already got my contract, man. I already signed my shit. I could give a fuck less. I guess I wish... I hate to pull out the Cajun Potato ban again so soon after the last one, but can we stop talking about that BMF belt and acting like we need you to put the BMF belt up for grabs? If it's a, if it works the way those belts are supposed to work, he doesn't have it anymore, man. He's lost three fights in a row, as you point out, since he won that BMF title fight where we actually did something cool. But if we're talking about who the lineal BMF champion is... Isn't it Leon Edwards? Like, hasn't the BMF belt fused with the welterweight title at this point? Because Jorge Loth turned right around, uh, lost back-to-back fights against Kamaru Usman, the second one where he was just slept uh, with a one-punch KO. Then Kamaru got head-kicked, headshot, bang, done by Leon Edwards. So Leon Edwards, kind of the lineal champion of both, right? Yeah, yeah. And honestly, you could have a worse situation than to make the co-main event here at UFC 287 five rounds because the main event of that one, of course, is going to be Alex Pereira against Israel Adesanya again. Uh, And that one probably ain't going the full 25. I'm just going to hazard a guess. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Next question this week comes to us uh, from Patrick Milder over on Patreon. He asks, watching one FC fights this Friday morning, the fighters are skilled, have their own gear and entrances. We get different types of martial arts matches. It's amazingly refreshing compared to the UFC's rinse and repeat Reebok slash Venom fighters. As as a longtime UFC fan, I think I prefer this over a lot of UFC's current content just saying um you know i kind of agree with this in some ways uh the ufc is obviously well ensconced as the top organization in the world and probably always will be and so you get a certain kind of thing when you're watching it uh but one fc right now is is kind of a refreshing change up at times if you can find it over on the amazon prime i'm not going to tell you that it's uh appointment watching for me appointment viewing but when i see it and it's happening i do check it out and it is good. I, I do like that, uh, you know, we're back to an era now where you at least have different flavors of mixed martial arts happening in different places at different times. And you can kind of satisfy your craving for a number of different things, whether it be kind of like uh, one championship's more straight laced adherence to honor and respectfulness or if you want to get crazy you can go over and watch some ksw and then you probably got the ufc somewhere in the middle but yeah i think uh i'm glad one one fc is out there it's good to see them with the amazon prime deal maybe catching some more eyeballs in america and uh who knows where it might take them i guess one thing that i wonder about sometimes when we bring up now comparing other organizations that lean into a little bit more showmanship around fights, a little bit more of production value kind of stuff, different outfits, people being able to having a little more free reign to do their stuff, as opposed to how the UFC has gotten what Patrick Mahler refers to here as the rinse and repeat uh, Reebok Venom fighters kind of look where everybody's doing the same thing and it's just sort of like a robotic progression. We talk sometimes about the churn among fight fans that... You get a lot of fans in it now who maybe never followed this sport when the UFC was anything other than the Reebok era. Do they know? Do they realize 
that hey, that used there used to be a little bit more of this stuff for yeah. better and worse uh, in UFC programming. Do they miss it, or do they not even notice because this is the only version they've ever known? Yeah, that's a great question, and honestly, makes me think about last Friday over on the Power Hour on the Patreon page to celebrate uh, Shogun Hua's voyage into retirement. You and I went back and did a live watch of all of Shogun's fights from the 2005 Pride Middleweight Grand Prix, and I was astonished how fun it was to watch those fights again. And, uh, you know, you just get that sort of different pride flavor when you got the, the referee in the white polo shirt inside the giant white ring and he's wearing the, the uh, early 2000s ref cam, right, with the giant uh, battery pack strapped to his back. You know, when you got all the, the, the guys out there in their sponsor shorts and all this different stuff. Uh, and as you noted a couple of times, very interestingly placed shoot box logos on the front <laughs> of Shogun Hua's tights, almost like they were trying to draw our attention to it. But uh, it's good to have different stuff, man. One of the great things about MMA, as I said, is that depending on what you want, you can kind of go find it. And at this point, that includes if you want to watch team MMA or some weird Russian guys running around an obstacle course chasing each other or two guys fighting in a literal phone booth or doing jujitsu in the back seat of a car or if you happen to be like an absolute unapologetic Dana White mark, you can find two guys just standing there slapping each other if that's what you want to see. It's all out there, man, for better and for worse. Yep. Next question this week comes to us from Cody Bernston over on Patreon. I got to say, this week the patrons brought it. Bunch of good questions from the patrons. So apparently Conor McGregor got offered a coaching spot on the next season of Tough and decided that yesterday was the perfect time to post on Instagram about it. The incredibly poor timing aside, why are we still doing Tough other than for the sake of content? Ding, 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 Cody. I think you got it. Uh, we all know Conor isn't really fighting anytime soon and his talents would be better served as a coach on the second season of the Dana White Power Slap League show. Also, why do you think, who do you think coaches opposite Conor? Uh, now, if you can believe Tony Ferguson... It was Tony Ferguson who was offered to coach opposite of Conor McGregor on The Ultimate Fighter. Uh, but I do think we have to talk a little bit about the timing here, right? Conor McGregor comes out and reveals that he has been offered this position as a coach on The Ultimate Fighter either the next day or a couple of days after basically he had been accused of physically assaulting a woman on his yacht, causing her such panic that she jumped off the fucking yacht into the ocean to yeah. get away from him and swam away and was later picked up by the freaking Coast Guard. So, yeah, maybe uh, maybe there's a little bit of muddy the waters situation here going on for Conor McGregor, a little bit of a distraction over here. Similarly to how he went on Twitter and announced his retirement right before the New York Times reported the that he was being investigated for sexual assault. It does Remember like that one? A, there does seem like there's a bit of a pattern, right? Kind of a classic. Honestly... Maybe it would not be the worst idea for everyone if the UFC got him to coach tough because I could see how the UFC would be thinking like, all right, look, man, you have been getting in the news for a lot of the wrong reasons lately. Um, but also maybe you could stand to have a little bit more of a runway reintroduction to a lot of the fans who maybe haven't really seen you win too many fights since they heard about the phenomenon that is Conor McGregor. Maybe now would be a good time to showcase the personality side that got people interested in the first place since the 
beating people's ass in the cage side hasn't really been there quite as much recently. And also, by the way, you got a movie to promote coming up, and maybe you need some time in that USADA testing pool before you're even eligible to compete. So why don't we do something that works for everybody's interests? We need something that could get people potentially excited about Tough again, even though we're just going to do the same shit that we've been doing with it for well over a decade at this point. But Conor McGregor would be a name that would do that. There'd be a whole lot of people who have already told themselves in their minds, I'm not watching any more Tough who would come back to it if Conor McGregor was a coach on there. You know that. Especially if if his opposing number, Chad, was a man fresh out of Harvard Business School and Tony Ferguson, <laughs> who I assume, I just assume, would be wearing his Harvard Business School t-shirt and sweatshirt at all times. Yeah. Every single no. time he appears on camera. I want to see Tony Ferguson in a three-piece suit and a bow tie, constantly <laughs> carrying around a textbook. Like some just what? some tomes. Just some unidentified tomes in the hands of Tony Ferguson at all times. And, like and what if he just... Like, like he doesn't bring any coaches. He just brings, like, professors from Harvard Business School. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, maybe I would watch Tough if that was going on. I, I got to be honest. I checked out a Tough around, like, season 20 or something ridiculous <laughs> like that. So I'll just I'll just say it. I don't even know where a guy can watch Tough at this point. Is it just on ESPN Plus? Is that is that where you find it? Is that the only place it is? I mean... I, for a while, were we talking about just doing it on Fight Pass? But I think it's on ESPN+. Plus. You're kind of asking the wrong guy here. Yeah. Because uh, I also have not paid much attention to Tough Rate. But, like, honestly, if you, would, if you wanted to get me back saying Conor McGregor and Tony Ferguson are going to show up and be weird to each other and probably do very little actual coaching, uh, yeah, you, you might get me back in the door there. And the thing is... When you see Conor McGregor posting about something like this, you're like, he's is he just trying to create some topic of interest, create some new Conor McGregor headlines to to push down the Conor McGregor accused of yet another assault uh, headlines further down on the page on all the MMA websites? And maybe he is. Yeah. But I could also see how the UFC might be able to sell him on it just by using that same logic by just being like, hey, look, you could use this right now. And even though it might not be the th- kind of thing that superstar Conor McGregor would generally consider doing uh, at at this point in his career arc, maybe for image rehabilitation and reintroduction to a lot of the MMA fans, it wouldn't be the worst thing for you. And by the way, you get to burn some time in the USADA testing pool while you get off the gear that you basically told us you're on. Yeah. All right. Uh, This one is a long one. I even had to cut it down a little bit. So my apologies to Marcus Antonius, uh, but it is halfway interesting, so I did want to read it. This is from Marcus Antonius. Um, I assume you know who that is, Ben Folks. That sounds like a, a Greek or Roman individual who would be right in your wheelhouse. Uh, I believe writes, it is the full name of Mark Antony. Okay. He writes, For as much as you all pay lip service to the death of MMA journalism, I think you're missing the big picture here. As much fun as it is to condemn slap fighting because it's dumb, exploitative, and you feel like Dana White has a humbling coming to him, your relentless hate watching or hate non-watching and coverage is exacerbating the problem. 
somehow you, your last vestiges of the old media seem to think that moral Comden, there's a lot of 50 cent words in this, Comden Nation will kill a bad or dangerous idea, thereby ignoring the lessons of Trump and Jake Paul. You all hate watched Jake Paul into success and you media types hate watched Trump into relevancy and then the presidency when, as now, engagement drives revenue and not ratings or critical appraisal. No one cares whether the attention is positive or negative. On the other hand, if you just ignore slap fighting, it vanishes like tears in the rain, not just from the podcast, but from the zeitgeist. So I beg you, please, just for a while, release a, relieve us of slap fighting coverage, even treating it with contempt feeds the furnace. Resist the temptation to judge it from on high, even though it feels good. Spit roasting it to please your adoring crowd is lazy journalism anyway. Uh, well, hold on here. Because it seems to me, I get the point yeah. that Roman consul, proconsul, tribune of the plebs, uh, Mark Antony is making here. However, didn't he just kind of do the same thing? Because well, he, he wants us to stop talking about it so much that he wrote an email to the podcast about it. So, Like several we're, paragraphs. We're, oh, and I, that's not even, there's way more. Uh, <laughs> so we're already on shaky ground here for Marcus Antonius, but I think he brings up an interesting point. We had actually, yeah. or I, I had actually made, I think over on the uh, Power Hour behind the Patreon page, the first show of the year when we made MMA New Year's resolutions, I said our resolution ought to be to not talk about the slap league because it was just going to be so stupid. What I didn't anticipate was that it was going to be so stupid that it was kind of begging for us to talk about it. Uh, but I mean, there are some false equivalencies, I think, in this email. I don't know that saying that the mainstream journal, you know, news journalists, CNN and the like, treating Donald Trump as a legitimate contender for the presidency far before he was and then him kind of riding that media attention to actually becoming a legitimate contender for the presidency and eventually winning. I don't know if that's the same thing as us making fun of the slap league on our comedy MMA podcast. I, uh, I just don't know if it is. I also don't know if you and I stopped talking about the slap league, if Dana White would be like, well, fuck it. We lost yeah. the co-main event. <laughs> We're going to have to pull it off the air now. So I guess, yeah. that, you know, Yet another of my promotional failures, as every other idea I've ever had outside the UFC. So too does this one go. I, but I, I do agree with sort of the core point that the big homie Marcus Antonius is making here, which is that basically something like this, especially something like this, what they're going for is audience engagement, and they are not really thinking too much about what people are saying about it. Yeah. The, they are just... If they can get anybody aware of it, talking about it, paying attention to it, they're going to con consider that a success. And again, like we said before, they didn't get into the slap league business because of the prestige that comes with slap fighting. They didn't get into it because they just felt like it's such a fascinating sport that they want to be around. They got into it. This is a cash grab. That's all this is. This is a, an attempt to corner the market on a new thing that they think could be as exploitable and uh, monopolizable and, and easily controlled and squeezed for cash as MMA itself was and that they have a better idea of how to do that. They feel like they honed the playbook by doing it with MMA, making some missteps, but learning how best to do it. And they feel like, well, now we could just do this with this new thing where it the people have even less 
expectations of being paid or treated well. And I think you see that in what we heard about what the thing pays. That it's so, so dismal. Uh, that's clearly, it's just like, here are some people, idiots are going to stand there and slap each other in the face. So we don't have to pay those idiots very much. And then we're going to market it to other idiots and all, it'll be like a idiot carousel that just spits out money for us. And the engagement is what they need. They don't really care that much about what people are saying about it. Cause they're not in it for the the prestige of the whole thing to begin with. I agree with that sort of core point. But I also think that when you see the president of the UFC, who is seemingly way more interested in doing this shit than he is in being the president of the UFC these days, he gets all behind it even after being on video slapping his wife in a nightclub. We still run with the slap league. The, The irony just screams at you. And then you see him running the exact same PR playbook with this to defend this, to try to make this seem more legit that they did with the UFC in the early days of MMA. I don't know if we can totally ignore that just because we don't want to do them the favor of talking about their thing. It seems like it is at least somewhat relevant to the, the MMA world and the MMA business, what's going on in this sport. Uh, Even if it's in a, pretty depressing way to see Dana White just sort of spitting out the same exact sound bites about this shit that he did about MMA. Because if nothing else, it makes you go, wait a minute, am I a sucker for believing it the first time when it was about MMA? And I was on board with it. And I went, yeah, you're right, man. These guys are athletes. They're not getting the respect that they deserve. And then you're running the exact same shit on fucking slap fighting. And I'm going, wait a minute. Now I do not think it is true. So which one is wrong? Yeah. Uh, I think you're right. When Dana White slaps his wife in public in the face in a nightclub on New Year's Eve in Mexico, and then like three weeks later is helming the slap fight league on TBS, you can't not talk about it if you're an MMA journalist. On the other hand, honestly, the slap fighting league just started three weeks ago. There's only been two episodes so far. You know, the first one had terrible ratings and they got better ratings for the second episode. So I don't know if you can like tell us to shut up about it yet. Like shit just fucking started. Like if they run 10 seasons of the slap fight league, are we still going to be sitting here on our MMA podcast talking about the slap fight league? Probably not. We'll probably have stopped talking about it that that by that point. But like, it's newsworthy right now. It literally just started, and we every day it seems like we get a better idea of just how big of a shit show scam it is for the UFC. So just you know, I, I actually kind of agree that we probably shouldn't be talking about the slap fight league on our MMA podcast. But just like, give us a couple weeks, man, when all this shit has just come to light about two thousand and two thousand to show up and slap another guy in the face. Like, just give us a window, man, where we can talk about it. And if we're still talking about it next year, then rewrite us this email. Be like, shut up about the slap fighting league already. But it literally just started. Just started. Yeah. Also, I don't know if I totally buy the idea that the media should stop talking about stuff that's bad. Does that solve the problem? Wasn't that kind of the whole problem with white supremacy for like 20 years? So we didn't talk about it. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, Turns out there's a bunch of fucking weirdos out there who on the internet started a fucking message board that maybe is going to ruin society. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you wanted to get into a larger media critique, you could make the argument that 
it doesn't work that way anymore, where in order to keep something out of the conversation that might help it grow, that might feed oxygen to the fire, the media could just not talk about it because you don't need the media to be talking about anything for, for people to talk about it amongst themselves on message boards and crazy shit like that. All right, that's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, comment, or concern to voice to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website, comainevent.com and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. As for right now, though, we are going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Well, Ben, it is finally happening this weekend at Bellator 290. Fedor Emelianenko will have his last MMA fight, a rematch against Ryan Bader down there at the Kia Forum in California, or I guess I should say allegedly his last MMA fight, because this this is not the first time we have heard about Fedor Emelianenko calling it quits and walking away from the sport. But with that all said, he has been talking for a long time now about how he wanted his last fight to be against Ryan Bader. And pretty much everybody in the industry looked around and said, really? Really? You You want to do Ryan Bader? You want Ryan Bader as your last one? Okay, bud. You get to call your own shots. Ryan Bader. Rematch. Last fight. So uh, I don't know how hyped are we at this point to watch the Fedor Emelianenko Ryan Bader rematch as the send off for perhaps the greatest heavyweight MMA fighter of all time. It is. It makes me feel a lot of conflicted feelings, honestly, because you're right. This would not have been my first or second or third or fourth or fifth choice for Fedor's final fight. I also don't know how invested I should get in the idea that this is Fedor's final fight. For not only some of the reasons you just mentioned, but also just because of what we know about MMA fighters and their retirements. Because you can't tell me it would be out of the question for Fedor to be like, all right, that's it for me. I'm done in MMA. And then nine months from now, then be like, well, but they just wanted me to do a quick one in Moscow to help out some, but a friend's fighting promotion. So sure, I'll do that. I mean, all kinds of shit could go on. So I don't want to get too stuck on that concept that this is going to be it and this is where we're going to finally have our chance to say a proper goodbye and lay our roses at the feet of the man on his way out the door but also it just feels like what if he wins imagine like just let's just question that he's on a two-fight winning streak technically yeah Knocked out Big Tim Johnson, knocked out uh, a very rotund version of Rampage Jackson back on New Year's Eve, uh, the New Year's Eve show, like three years ago. Um, What if he goes out there, connects with a clean one on Ryan Bader, becomes Bellator heavyweight champion, and then pieces out? What then? What would we say then? You know what then? (laughs) Grand Prix. Yes! Heavyweight <laughs> tournament for the title, man! Don't act like you don't know what Scotty Coax is going to do if the Bellator heavyweight title is suddenly vacant. We know good goddamn well what he would do. I mean, he do they even have like do eight it. heavyweights that they could put together in a tournament? I feel like I go through the same 
emotional roller coaster for every Fedor fight where like when they announce it, I'm like, oh, God, really? Him against this guy? That's what we're doing? And then as it gets closer to the fight, I start to remember the Fedor of old and I start to get excited again and I start to be like, well, okay, it'll be fine. It'll be fun to see Fedor up on the horse one more time, taking a victory lap around the arena. And then I watch the fight and I'm like, ah, he's just not the same guy. You know, and with good reason at this yeah. point. The man has been around for a long time. He's 46 years old, for God's sakes, Ben Folks. Fedor Emelianenko is older than me. And if there is an active MMA fighter who is older than me, that is bad news. So, yeah, he's not the lightning fast guy who's th- picking murder balls out of his back pocket and throwing them at the other guy's chin. He's not that guy anymore. But. I mean, as long as he doesn't get embarrassed with Ryan Bader against Ryan Bader, I guess I'm okay with it. I do think it was a weird choice for his last fight. I think we could have done it up in a little bit more fitting Fedor Fedor Emelianenko style, but this is apparently the fight that he wanted, and it's the fight that he gets, and I guess we'll roll the dice and we'll we'll take whatever we get here. Yeah, I mean, one thing that feels to me sometimes like when I do watch him fight, like... There's a nostalgia to it because he still can look like the same guy. It helps, I guess, that he has looked like a 46-year-old man for at least 15 years. Yeah. Just, he he's going to show up there looking like a middle-aged man from the time he was like 28. And the, it's not like the physique was ever actually chiseled out of stone or anything. And, and never had any damn hair to begin with. So his transition into middle-aged man is not that striking and he still when before the punches really start flying he goes out there and he looks like the old fedor he's bouncing on his toes he's got his hands out there like hanging around the midsection like light ready to go uh not even gonna bother to bring him up near his face at all and you're going all right yeah maybe this is the old fedor again and then you realize like okay the the punches aren't as fast and his ability to absorb the ones coming back at him aren't as great because that's just how age tends to work in this game and i feel like we've sort of been through this so many times where we felt like okay well our heart breaks for fedor yet again or we we come to terms with who Fedor was and who he is now and how our hopes for him and what he might do in this sport or with his future are perhaps different from his hopes for what he wants to do with it. And it feels like though we've done it so many times that I don't even know what to make of it anymore. Like it's this kind of thing where it's almost like a make a wish sort of thing where he's like, I want to have one last crack at Ryan Bader. And we go, sure, bucko, whatever you want, you've earned it. You know, even though none of us thinks it's a good idea or even makes a ton of sense in any way. And yet we we feel like you you've earned this. You've earned the right to call some of your own shots, even if they baffle us. The fact that you just compared Fedor Emelianenko's last fight to the Make-A-Wish Foundation made a, <laughs> made a pang of sadness just tear through my heart. man. That's How dare you? Uh, I'm just saying, Fedor, if you're in the locker room and like the Avengers, a bunch of people dressed as the Avengers walk in, it's not a great sign, bud. (laughs) It has been about 14 months since we saw Fedor fight. I would, I guess, voice the same thing that you did talking about new fans and whether or not they understand how different things used to be now that we're into the Reebok slash Venom 
everybody looks the same UFC rinse and repeat cycle. It's hard to put into words how much of a phenomenon Fedor was back in the pride days where he just came out kind of out of nowhere and just started knocking people out and then had, you know, the big fights against Crow Cop, et cetera, et cetera, ended up knocking out Tim Sylvia in affliction in a matter of seconds. And he was just, and he was always like, had this air of mystery about him because he didn't really speak English. And he and everybody else from what was it? The red devil sport club or whatever it was called would show up wearing their matching track suits, just looking Russian as fuck. And then, you know, they go in there and fuck somebody up and nobody knew where they were, what they were about. Or, and then they'd leave. And I feel like after we kind of got some Fedor translations and after he came over to Affliction and Bellator and everywhere else, we kind of got to know him a little better. And so the mystique was not quite as as thick as it was back in those days. But man, back in the early days of the like VHS cassette tape scrounging era when Fedor was just out there knocking people's heads into the third row, it was amazing to watch. And if you if you haven't, you should go back and watch some of the the highs of Fedor Emelianenko's career because he really was quite the phenomenon back in the day. I got to say I was a little surprised when I look at betting odds at this for this one. What are they? Well, Chad, would it shock you to learn that so far the most lopsided line I can find has Fedor at plus 200? Hmm. A so mere 2 a to 1 slight, underdog. Slight underdog to Ryan Bader. The longest line has Ryan Bader at minus 265. Well, I mean, hey, man, as Big Tim Johnson just found out, he can still crack. Are you saying that maybe he ain't as good as he once was, (laughs) but he's as good once as he ever was? Well, it's possible. I don't know. All right, let's do uh, Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we will get on to round number two. Ben, uh, what's your Are You Fucking Kidding Me this week? Well, Chad, I am going to read to you a headline from bloodyelbow.com, a website we will end up discussing in the next round. It's one from Anton Tobuena says, quote, teenager Raul Rosas Jr. vows to become three-division UFC champ, win first belt in, quote, one year or less. Bro, are you fucking kidding me? Have you no sense of history, Raul Rosas Jr.? I realize you're just a kid, fresh-faced, eager, Got new to this whole game, but the MMA gods will not be mocked, my friend. And there's nothing that's like ringing the dinner bell for the MMA gods to rain misfortune and woe and misery down upon your cranium. Quite like going out there before you have even gotten in the neighborhood in the same zip code as challenging for a single UFC title and talking about how you intend to win multiple belts in multiple weight classes. Are you fucking kidding me, bro? Historically, that has not gone well for people. Are you fucking kidding me? This was almost my just saying stuff, because I was going to say, Raul Rosas, uh, I like you. You seem like a nice kid. Let me tell you a little story about a guy named Brandon Vera. I'm just saying. I mean, saying this, this, this is the quote. Uh... Right now, me saying that I'm going to be champion, a lot of people think I'm crazy when I say that I'm going to be the youngest UFC champion, but I believe in myself. Mark my words, I will be champion in one year or less. I'm just getting started. Like, this is nothing to me. I ain't celebrating nothing yet until I have them three belts around my waist. 135, 145, 155. Let's go. This this man, Chad, is basically 
standing under a ladder, breaking mirrors as black cats walk back and forth in front of him. And he's just with a big grin, like nothing bad could possibly go wrong here. Yeah. Fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me. And he's not, it's not like he's saying he's going to be light heavyweight, heavyweight, and super heavyweight champion. He's talking about being heavyweight or being champion in the three most competitive divisions in yes. the sport. Basically in the, the three sport. best divisions we have in this entire I mean, sport. If he can do that, I will be impressed. I'll be impressed if gods, he does that. Are they're, they're being awakened from a slumber. And they are looking, they are smirking down, being like, oh, yeah? yeah. Let's, we got to dream up something new for this kid. Yeah. A fucking oil tanker is going to drop out of the sky and land on him. Uh, well, Ben, you must have seen this because your guy, Tamar Washington, kind of won the weekend in MMA. Tamar Washington lost a fight against Will Sears via disqualification at BKFC 35 over the weekend. But nobody told Tamar Washington that he had lost the fight. So this man, he goes over to the corner, he gets his jigsaw mask from the movie Saw, and he puts it on, he's got his can of Monster Energy drink, he's standing in the middle of the ring, he goes up to the ref, puts his his arm in the guy's hand, he's like, can't wait, he can't wait to get his arm raised, and then they announce it. Will Sears, the winner by disqualification. And if you want to see somebody doing like a cartoon surprise act, Go see what the look on Tamar Washington's yeah. face after it announced that he lost is really something. And it would be easy to dunk on Tamar Washington for this and everyone kind of has on the internet. My are you fucking kidding me? It's for all the people who didn't tell this man he lost before they announced it on the PA system. Where's his corner at? Where are the officials? Where are the judges? You see the replay of this thing? It's kind of a judgment call as to whether or not this other guy is down when he hits him in the face. That's what he gets disqualified for, striking a downed opponent. And it's one of those things where Will Sears is kind of collapsing against the ropes and his knee touches and then the guy hits him, but it's all kind of in the heat of the moment. Are you fucking kidding me? Who doesn't tell this guy he lost? Who lets him put the jigsaw mask on and carry the monster energy drink out to the middle of the cage and stand there with the ref? If you're you're the his corner man, you're supposed to be this man's friend and you're not like, tomorrow. <laughs> Wait, Tomar, you, bro. You, you lost, man. Take the mask off. Are you fucking kidding me, dude? A lot of people drop the ball on this as far as I'm concerned. And there was time for the commentary team to sit there and talk to each other about how they didn't think he realized what was about to happen. It was just the rare moment of dramatic irony in fight sports where we, the audience, know what's about to happen. He doesn't know. Fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me. That's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. Well, Chad, the bad news in the MMA media space continues, as it seems like Vox Media, the owner and operator of several MMA media sites, including MMA Fighting, one of the biggies, seems to be pulling out a bloody elbow 
we heard from multiple writers at Bloody Elbow who said that they had just gotten notice that Vox would no longer be monetizing and supporting Bloody Elbow. Not entirely sure what that means, but it seems like maybe uh, people are at least entertaining the idea that it means Bloody Elbow could just be continue to be operate independently uh, by those people. It still seems to be operating now. Those people uh, are seem to be still writing and putting up stuff. But it doesn't seem like a great sign for where the MMA media is right now. And I was struck by a tweet from the biggest of homies, Luke Thomas, who uh, made an interesting point. I'm not entirely sure I agree with it, but I think it is at least worth discussing in the light of this. Another important MMA media outlet that seems like it's at least losing a lot of its support. From Luke Thomas, he tweeted this a few days ago where he says, The collapse of the athletic MMA and Vox dropping bloody elbow has done more to put the kinds of media who do actual reporting out of work than anything else I can think of maybe in industry history. Um, now, you and I, this is a topic close to our hearts, not only as longtime MMA media members, but as people directly affected by that aforementioned collapse of the athletic yeah. MMA. For people who somehow don't know, we both uh, worked for the athletic. And then as they gradually pulled more and more and then totally out of combat sports, uh, we both lost our jobs there. But it also it's hard not to look around and be like, I remember 10 years ago, five years ago. There being a lot more writing in MMA media and a lot more stuff that seemed like people were looking around trying to do interesting reporting, whether that was just telling more interesting stories or uh, looking into who might be lying to us at any given moment, which there's always somebody in yeah. combat sports lying to you. And now when I look at it, it seems like a lot of those outlets have sort of shrunk down and Bloody Elbow is the latest one where a lot of this reporting that seemed like it was important to the sport and important to, if you believe that the media job includes keeping the bastards honest, we learned more about the UFC financial picture from Bloody Elbow's reporting, especially around the antitrust case, uh, that ongoing lawsuit and the, the documents that have come out through that, than I think we learned from any other one single outlet. We, we got such a clear picture of how, how much money there is and how it is allocated and how much of this has been done intentionally. Stuff that's important to understand if you're going to talk about how this sport works and why it works the way it does. And then when you see it just disappear or threaten to disappear in this case... I don't look around and see anybody who seems like they're going to take up that mantle, who seems like they're going to, they're eager to fill that niche. I see a lot of people doing, you know, here's who's beefing on Twitter. Here's uh, the next matchup that's been made. Promotional stuff, basically. There's a lot of promotional stuff. I don't see a whole lot of reporting stuff. Is that yeah. just me being a, uh, a bitter old guy? As I ask you, another bitter old guy. Or... Is this just a, a trend that we're seeing across sports media? Well, first of all, I just wanted to say my heart goes out to everybody who got, I guess, laid off by Vox, uh, even though they have decreed that they will keep the site going. It sounds like Vox did it in much the same way that The Athletic did it when they laid me off 
which at the end of the day felt pretty heartless, almost with no warning. And all of a sudden you lose access to the Slack and you lose access to your email and all this other stuff. So first of all, I want to say that. And there's a lot of people over there doing good work at Bloody Elbow and they seem many of them like good, nice people. And it sucks to see them lose their jobs. Uh, But yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Not only about the fact that a lot of MMA reporting has become transcribing a tweet and saying, you know, so-and-so said this about XYZ, and it did feel like there was a lot more enterprise reporting and features writing and all this other stuff uh, years ago. And I think little by little, the big corporate overlords that own most of these sites figured out that it was hard to monetize those things, and they felt like they were paying more money than they brought in. And so that kind of stuff has fallen by the wayside, much to the detriment, I think, of most MMA reporting. And I would also say, I think you make a really good point that you know, as, as much as sometimes bloody elbow got kind of a bad rap in the MMA world, there were a lot of people over there doing really, really valuable reporting. John Nash, who you mentioned, Kareem Zidane, who was publishing over at bloody elbow, uh, Trent Reinsmith, who's one of the only guys in this industry who consistently calls Dana White out on his bullshit in print over there on bloody elbow. Uh, and without that site, I don't know where we get some of that information, man. Can you imagine if John Nash was just not doing that reporting about the antitrust case and about the investor docs and everything else that, that has given us a clear picture of the UFC's financial situation, like because of that, we know that they have basically doubled or more than doubled their profits since about 2016. And they are still out here paying the fighters about the same percentage of revenue, not by accident, but by clear design to engineer the industry that way so that they can keep 85% of the profits. Without that knowledge, I, like if you are a good thinking person about mixed martial arts, that knowledge should define everything you think about the sport. Well, yeah, and it also helps you understand what's going on at various times, like when we were just talking about the big story of the last couple of weeks where Francis Ngannou is going to walk with the UFC heavyweight title around his waist, basically. That's how you can understand why and how that happened is by knowing what the financial picture is like and what the the financial strategy is like. That's what helps you understand. Otherwise, it doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. You would be baffled by it. Um, so that kind of reporting is important and necessary. But I'd also just argue that when you look around and if you see just basically different versions of the the same story appear over and over again on all the MMA media sites, then it makes it seem like what's the difference between any of them? Are some of these sites just basically using the, the legacy and the authority that these sites had because of stuff that they used to do, a kind of journalism that they used to do. And now you can just post, here's what this guy had to say about this other guy on Twitter and make a decent enough living at it that way. And I don't know, it, it, it seems like it's part of a a trend. Like, I I don't know if it's that people don't want to read as much on the internet. I don't know if it's that social media and Twitter and things like that have broken our brains so that we don't have the attention span for it. Uh, so we want all our information to come in an endless scrolling little chunks. I, I don't know if it's that or if it's just that the corporate interests that sort of fund these websites uh, are sort of too easily blown around in the breeze. 
yeah. where you tell them one time, pivot to video, and they go, okay, video is what we're doing now. And then that doesn't work, and they go, okay, we're doing something else now. And then they hear recession coming, lay off 5 to 7% of your step. Okay, we're doing that now. And we're not really thinking about a long-term strategy in any of these regards. We're just sort of chasing whatever the, the shiny thing we saw in the corner of our eye. Yeah. And at the risk of quoting Luke Thomas too many times <clears throat> in one round, but I remember not very long ago, pretty recently, he was talking about how eventually everyone decided that they were not interested in stuff that held the UFC, especially to account. The UFC obviously doesn't want that. They will actively try to get you fired. If that's what, if that's what you do, uh, readers didn't, don't want it. Fans largely don't seem to care about that stuff. And editors didn't want it because it, it doesn't make them money. And in some cases it actively loses them money. So that's a pretty sorry state of affairs when that is, is the situation. But I think we have arrived at that point. And at this, you know, the co-main event podcast clearly has a large venture capitalist listenership. <laughs> yes. Obviously. So I want to speak directly to those people right now for a second, if I may. If you're out there right now, sitting on a couple million bucks that you don't know what to do with, well, it's mm -hmm. probably just some dividends from your stock portfolio that yeah. you're going to stash somewhere so you don't have to pay taxes on it. If you've got that money, you're just, oh, I don't know what to do with just two million bucks. What am I going to do with it? Send it to us. Give us $2 million so we can start an MMA news website, and we can hire many of the best writers in the sport who are now either unemployed or underemployed. And then after you give us that money, we're going to need you to never speak to us again. <laughs> Just go away. Leave us alone. Don't ask for it back. Don't expect a return on your investment, et cetera, et cetera. And we'll call it good because there's a great opportunity right now in this sport. If someone wanted to start a real uh, journalism, heavy writing, intensive MMA website, you could do it. Those tools are out there, man. They're and they're actively looking for work. Just don't expect to get anything back. I think is the moral of the last 10 or 15 years in this industry. Just give us some money and then take the yacht to uh, the Caymans or something. Just we'll be fine. We'll be fine without you. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it, though, I feel like we are watching this sort of slow disintegration happening uh, around the edges of a lot of different like media spaces. And part of it is that like it seems like we hang on using these same models for too long to where they don't apply anymore. And you saw like newspapers try to do it. Um, as the websites basically killed the newspapers. And now it seems like you're seeing websites do it as social media has killed the websites. And like, if you're somebody, I wonder what somebody who, whose job is selling advertising for one of these big media companies, like that seems like it's gotta be a tough business right now. Cause it's like, okay, we're going to get you a, an ad on the sidebar of this website. And that's, that's how we're going to sustain ourselves basically. And it seems less and less like that's a viable strategy. And then it also seems like for a while we thought it would be more direct subscription kind of based, basically how we make the most, the, the majority of our money, like through Patreon of people like that, your, your listeners, your, your readers, your, your supporters, 
they care enough that they just want to directly fund it. And it seems like you like some people can do that. Like we've been able to make it work pretty well, but it doesn't seem like it can be the thing for everything. Because I know that feeling of feeling like, man, I got so many streaming services I pay for. I got various newsletters and subscriptions and things like that. And everybody's going to have to have a breaking point of it. And I just wonder, like, where does that leave us? Is it because it, if it leaves us as the only people willing to do it are the people doing it for extreme, like a, turning out an extremely shitty product, an extremely shitty version of it for very low returns. Um, you see a lot of that in the MMA space. And I don't know if, if we just get more and more and more of that, I don't know if that's a good thing. That seems pretty bad to me. All right, that's going to do it for round number two. We'll be right back with round number three. Well, Ben, Derek Lewis and Sergey Spivak were originally supposed to do the damn thing at UFC Fight Night 215 back in November, but Lewis had to pull out due to non-COVID weight-cutting illness-related issues, and the bout was postponed. It is now scheduled for this weekend as the main event of UFC Fight Night 218, a.k.a. a bunch of other names. Uh, but here we go. We're finally going to get... Uh, a bunch of not only UFC road to the championship tournament finals, but we're also going to get Derek Lewis and Sergey Spivak in a five round affair. Uh, this is, you know, but Derek Lewis has found himself at an interesting time in his career. I think where he's, he's already threatened retirement once or twice. And here he is now, uh, kind of serving as a measuring stick uh, to some of these up-and-coming heavyweights. He is one and three in his last four, including his last loss to Sergey Pavlovich. It must feel to him like they are just getting him to try to lose to every Sergey on the roster. Yeah. In comes Sergey Spivak, who is a 28-year-old Moldovan who is out here in the midst of a five and one streak in his last six, his last two wins stoppages against Greg Hardy and Augusto Sakai is Derek Lewis at the stepping stone point in his career. Is that where we're at? Cause that does in fact make me feel a little sad. Yeah. But doesn't it seem like they've tried to put him in this place before? Like it seems to me like we've been up and down this road a couple times with Derek Lewis, where we went like, okay, Derek Lewis becoming a thing. We're excited about it. Oh no, he lost to some of the the top guys, so uh, now he fights Black Boy even off and shit like that. But then you know he he can always knock out a couple of those guys, and then the next thing you know he's back in that conversation. Because let's be honest, you go out there, you fight Tai Tuivasa in that one where anybody could have won that one. We were just throwing them things and seeing who was still upright. And he very easily could have won it. He had Tai Tuivasa in some trouble there. That was sort of the promise of that fight being played out in front of our very eyes. And it just didn't go his way. Then you fight Sergei Pavlovich, who, as we have come to see, is a legit scary-ass dude. So... I think I'm going to probably knock out a whole bunch of heavyweights before it's over with. So you lost that one. 
But you, you step back and you fight some of the other guys from, you know, the other heavyweight division that exists. The one that exists for the guys who are never going to fight, uh, never going to get close to the very top of the division that we've talked about before. He could still beat some of those guys. You know, I don't think that Derek Lewis is totally washed up or anything, but he is he's in that range where people know Derek Lewis. He has a good enough name. He has an exciting enough fighting style. They think they could just match him up against anybody. Uh, and so... Who you got? Who you yeah. got that he hasn't fought, basically, yeah. is what we're doing. And hey, man, there's way worse jobs to have in the UFC than the one Derek Lewis has right now, where he is noted as a fun guy who's going to go out there and throw those bungalows, try to knock the other guy out, and then may or may not say something funny after the fight is over. Like, that's a, that's the guy that he is, and he has been able to make that into kind of his signature, which, again, in the modern UFC, having anything to hang your hat on is a win for you. And so here's Derek Lewis having carved out this niche for himself, which honestly is not the, the worst place you could be for a fighter. Uh, but uh, he, are you telling, are you sitting there and tell me that right now that, that Derek Lewis is essentially the gatekeeper to the scary motherfucker? Pen? I would say like, he's one of them. He, he, he is among the gatekeepers there. Um, which again, I, I think that you're right that it's not the absolute worst position that you could be in. Um, but it is, it seems like the UFC bounces back and forth between thinking like, oh, is Derek Lewis just a fun guy who can brawl and knock some people out and produce a couple good sound bites? Or is he also actually good? And it'll think, oh no, he's not that good. And then he'll beat two or three of these guys in a row. And then we go, okay, let's, let's talk about potentially matching up, you know, one of these top dudes on the way to a title shot, and then he'll lose a couple of those, and we go, oh, never mind. I mean, eventually, uh, the sands of the hourglass kind of run out on you, but uh, for now, it doesn't seem like it's anything so different from different points that we've seen in his career arc with the UFC so far. Yeah. Uh, Derek Lewis is plus 195, so a little bit less than a 2-to-1 underdog to Sergey Spivak. Would you care to take a guess as to what the over-under is in terms of total rounds for this fight? Uh, 1.5. You are correct. It is 1.5, and the over gets you the plus money. So everyone knows why we're putting this thing together, and everyone knows exactly what you're probably going to get from these from these two heavyweights. Yeah. You know what kind of blows my mind is that even with all of the events that the UFC does over here, stateside 42 events a year on espn plus this year uh they still have time to run these eight man tournaments over in asia and here we are we're gonna get the final to finals to a bunch of these tournaments you've got you had a flyweight bracket you had a bantamweight bracket you had a featherweight bracket and you had a lightweight bracket so all of those eight man tournaments all to get in to the final, all of which will be on the preliminary card of this UFC Fight Night event, which seems like a lot of bang for not so much buck. And, you know, probably literally not for that many bucks, I gotta say. <laughs> literally very few bucks. Yeah. All right, let's do Just Saying Stuff, and then we will get out of here for this week. Ben, uh, I have to say... After this announcement today, did you see this announcement that uh, Jake Paul has announced Mike Perry as the backup? Yeah. To uh, 
to Tommy Fury here in their in their fight coming up later, I guess late in February. I am just saying I have never wanted Tommy Fumbles to fumble the bag more than I want him <laughs> to right now. Please fumble the bag, Tommy Fumbles. Get a drop out of this fight for any reason. Visas, illness, weight, uh, injured in training, just don't want to do it. Snarled in a traffic jam. You lost your lucky shorts. Whatever it is, d- just don't show up, man. You know how much I would love it if Jake Paul and Mike Perry had to go out there and fight. Oh, it would be amazing. Can you imagine if Mike Perry is the guy to beat Jake Paul? Can you imagine if that were the case? I'm not saying that would happen, but if it did, it would just—it would almost be the perfect ending to the Jake Paul boxing career arc. Now, Chad, I know that you've at some point are from have heard the phrase in boxing, step aside money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What if we all got together? I got I got five on it. I'll throw a <laughs> I'll throw a saw buck down. We yeah. all throw some money in a hat and then present it to Tommy Fury as step aside money. Yeah. Just hey, Tommy, what if you were to wander off and get lost? What if you were to go camping in the woods this weekend, not make the fight? Know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, you know, is this fight in Vegas? You know that tram you can get on, take you all the way down to the other end of the strip, got on the tram going the wrong way. Couldn't make it to the fight. Tommy, it'd be a real shame if you followed this treasure map out into the (laughs) woods to dig up this treasure we have left there for you and, and, and did that instead of going to this fight, if you know what I'm saying. I'm just saying, Tommy fumbles, please, please, please fumble the bag one more time. Please. I'm just saying. Just saying. Well, Chad, you mentioned this fight card we got coming up here from the UFC this weekend. Did you happen to note the time? I did not. Maybe, Maybe I'm revealing myself as not necessarily having it circled on my calendar. Yeah, well, this one was originally planned... For uh, South Korea, I believe. Okay, that and must be why we're doing all those tournaments. Yeah, it was supposed to be the UFC's return to Seoul. And then when uh, the Korean zombie had to pull out hurt, and it was like, well, that really hurts maybe local interest in the thing. And so uh, we move it back here to the UFC Apex. And according to the schedule I'm looking at, Chad, the main card is set to kick off at 1 a.m. Eastern. No, come on. They're not going to make them do that down there in Vegas, are they? Set to begin on ESPN Plus at 1 a.m. Eastern for the main card, 10 p.m. Eastern for the prelims. So I'm just saying, all that shit we were saying about the current state of MMA media, well, there's going to be some sorry sons of bitches sitting around with their laptops at fucking one o'clock in the goddamn morning for an extremely low wattage UFC fight night event. And brother, that's when you earn your money. I'm just saying. Just wow. saying. One o'clock in the morning. What is Derek Lewis just that's supposed to go play That's the main card start time. He's <laughs> just supposed to go play. He's like, call me when uh, Tybura and Evendoff are fighting and I'll come to the arena at that point. But I'm just going to, I'll be here playing blackjack until then. Round about the time that people are 
standing around a craps table with their dress shirts unbuttoned, realizing that they got a flight home to catch in two hours and they've spent all their money. That's yeah. when Derek Lewis and Sergey Spivak will be making the walk. A bunch of sorority girls are sitting on a couch crying. Carrying their shoes. <laughs> their shoes in one hand and a, a McDonald's bag in the other hand. That's yeah. when Derek Lewis and Sergey Spivak are going to be walking to the cage for the main event. Just oh, well, that's, that's sad, man. That's really yeah. sad. All right. That's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. If you happen to be a $20 patron of the co-main event, we got After Hours coming to you when we wrap up this show as for the rest of you thanks so much for listening we'll be over at the patreon page all week check us out over there co-main event or patreon.com slash co-main event join the team thanks everybody uh as for right now we are done we are through we are out so ben uh dana white teased over the weekend that he had a big announcement i'm sure you saw this and you know how you know that it's going to be a big announcement from Dana White. And that is he shows up real late to make the announcement. Yeah, that's how you know it's really important. Is that, oh, you know, he'll get there 30, 35 minutes late. And, uh, just sight read it off some cue cards. Like, that's how you know it's a big announcement. Well, you're going to shout it, but yeah. Yeah, shout it off some cue cards. That's right. And what he's going to shout, however, is that you're getting yourself a rematch in the Alex Pereira is the Adesanya fight. Yes, he announced that. He announced Gilbert Burns and Jorge Masvidal as the co-main event for UFC 287. He announced Valentina Shevchenko and Alexa Grasso at T-Mobile Arena on March 4th. Uh, that is one that has been in the top of for a while. 